Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on August the 30th, 2010. For newcomers, and there's always newcomers, come in to the show and some stay, some go away onto other pastures. You can look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and bookmark all the other sites you'll see up there. Now, you might get trouble with the com tonight. I think the Jackmas too has got trouble uh, downloading, uh, but um, I'll have to look into that. I just found out, in fact. So if you bookmark these other sites, hopefully you'll have one of them to choose from where you can download the latest shows. And remember, there's hundreds of audio talks up there for download for free. And while you're at it, remember that even though they're free, it's up to you, the audience, to keep me going. I'm the only host out there who doesn't get paid by advertisers. I could be, and then I could really tick you off by bringing on one guest after another who pay to come on, by the way. Then they'd pay me, you see. And... um I'd terrify the, the blazes out you and then sell the product. And that's how things really work. That's how it works because everything in the system that we live in is a business. Without the business, nobody gets paid. This way I, I do it myself. I can say more. I can go into other areas. And I'm not beholding to um, stand up for any product that happens to come along the pike. So you are the audience who listen to me. You can buy the books I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You can buy the discs and so on. And uh, you can also donate. Now, if you want to purchase from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or you can use an international postal money order from your post office or you can use PayPal to donate or to purchase to send a separate email with your name address and the order after you've sent the PayPal and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. And I remember too... um, the advertising you do here on this show is paid by advertisers right to RBN, and that pays for their airtime and their staff and equipment and so on. So it's up to you to keep me going. This is a tough haul. Believe you me, it's a tough haul. It's not a work uh, uh, that you would want to take up as some kind of hobby or fun even because it literally will drain the life out of you uh, if you don't have uh, production teams and staff and managers and all the rest of it. It literally will kill you. So it's up to you. If you want to keep me going a little bit longer, uh, look into the sites and donate at least, because uh, thousands and thousands listen. Lots of their talk shows, copy whatever comes out here first. And uh, I've really changed the face of Patriot Radio by stopping the navel-gazing into just the U.S. and showing you how this is an integrated global effort to take over the whole planet. Everything that happens in the U.S. or Canada is happening everywhere else at the same time. Same laws passed every week, month, and by the year, and it's all coordinated through a world society. And that's what I try to show to you. But... um, most people, as I say, get so distracted into the fear that, of waking up. It's a scary thing to wake up and find out that you really don't have all the rights that you thought you had and that there's actually people at the top who will tell you that, that you don't have any rights. Last week I mentioned a BBC4 a radio documentary 
a debate, supposedly, where one of the top eugenicists in Britain was proposing to start eugenics again and uh, mandatory sterilization of what they deem the unfit and the burden on society. Same old stuff. And he actually brought it up in the talk that all this talk about rights, he says, is just so much nonsense. The people really have no rights. You only have duties towards your society. And, of course, they lead to the top are the ones who decide what those duties are supposed to be. That's what you're living through. You've been conned your whole life, and so are your parents conned, because the coup that's taken over your, your countries and the world uh, happened an awful long time ago. Long time ago. And each war they have brings it all the closer. Back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. It's astonishing, really, how a lot of news is recycled. They've even had shows on television over the years where they show you recycled news. And I used to wonder if it's just a filler when they recycle mainstream, or are they actually, through repetition, driving something home to us? And generally, that's the latter that generally is the, the key to it when it's something important. But I've mentioned before how Foreign Affairs magazine is the one of the mouthpieces of the Council on Foreign Relations. This is the public mouthpiece. And they always tell you what's planned for the next so many years. And whatever they say, you can take it to the bank because these guys all work for the global society, which is what the Council on Foreign Relations is all about. And um, all mainstream media, the top members, definitely their owners are are members of the Council on Foreign Relations. They generally go over to the Queen and get knighted if they've done a good job towards the great work, you know. And that's really how it works. But they put an article out there recently about, again, cyber warfare. Now, I've had cyber warfare uh, talks before where the Pentagon's given out various uh, notices to the general public for the media, and it's printed straight into the newspapers. Uh, talking about the dangers of cyber warfare. And you wouldn't believe the teams, of course, that they've, they actually have teams of specialists all working around the clock um, on cyber warfare. But, uh, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that the cyber warfare has nothing to do with China. No one's scared of China at the top. Otherwise, you would never have given away your ability to manufacture heavy goods and tanks all in your own country. You wouldn't give them all the ability of, of going uh, so far ahead of you in computers and then leave you behind. You wouldn't do that unless you were absolutely certain they'd never turn against you. So what's cyber warfare for? It's to make sure that the global society comes into being. That's the real reason. And I've read articles before where they've talked about uh, basically attacking people's computers on a domestic front as well. And they've done that. Some people get their hard drives uh, fried. Uh, there's lots of problems can be done so, so easily with those guys on other ends as they attack your computers if they want you down. There's a simple method, too, is just phone up to the main servers and tell them to give you a hassle. I've had that happen to me, you know, the old boy network. And that, ha- that works very, very well indeed. But they're definitely going ahead with their plans to try and take off the air those people they don't really want out there. 
and this is kind of part of it too. Now, the article published here for Foreign Affairs gives you some of the info. The rest of it you'd have to buy from them and, and purchase a PDF, and I'm damned if I'll do that because they're way too expensive, even for their magazine. And apart from that, you know what all anyway, what they're really up to. But this article here says that more than 100 foreign intelligence organizations are trying to hack into the digital networks that undergrid the U.S. military operations. The Pentagon recognizes the catastrophic threat posed by cyber warfare and is partnering with allied governments and private companies to prepare itself. Now, let's be honest, too. Um, whose side are the private companies on? Who do they really work for? Why would you, how could you even risk uh, partnering yourself with private companies whose main goal supposedly is profit? I mean, private companies can sell anything abroad if they want to, to any country. Even during World War II, there were private companies selling stuff that went to, to Germany, even Japan during World War II from the Allied countries. That's quite something, isn't it? We don't think about that. So here's supposedly your, your, your own military partnering with allied governments and with private corporations. But they don't mention which corporations. You know who they are, of course. It's IBM and all the usual suspects. But they, they've gone about some... Um, this is in 2008, the U.S. Defense, uh, Department of Defense suffered a significant compromise of its classified military computer networks. And then talk about how an infected flash drive was inserted into a U.S. military laptop you know, by by who knows who, at a base in the Middle East. I mean, this is high security, and someone puts in a flash drive. Julie yeah? believes this. This is a flash drive's malicious computer code placed there by a foreign intelligence agency uploaded itself into the network run by the U.S. Central Command. The code spread undetected on both classified and unclassified systems, establishing what amounted to a digital beachhead from which data could be transferred to servers under foreign control. This is what they're telling us. I don't really believe this stuff. Do you know how many fail-safes they have? If anybody tried to get up there, how many levels of fail-safes? It's just unbelievable. So the real article here, as I say, is about how they want to expand their operations. And if you go into the PDF and get hold of it, they'll actually tell you that they want to also use more of their abilities on the domestic scene as well, to combat what they call negative propaganda, uh, which I guess is what happens when you talk out about the stuff that you're being very negative about this glorious new world order they're bringing in, all for your benefit, supposedly. But that's what we get fed at the bottom. We're mushrooms. We, we get fed, you know what, and we're kept in the dark in reality. I'd love to see the CFR talk about, talking about the spraying overhead. It's been happening for years now and the physical effects it's had on people, and how many countries are involved in it, because it's happening worldwide, as far as I can see, and uh, who set up this organization to spray us like little bugs. Uh, who are the private companies that supply all the chemicals that go into the aerial spraying? None of this is mentioned, and we want the truth. You expect to get truth from the mainstream? Forget it. You'll get the truth in 50 or 100 years' time, when we're all dead. That's why they classify things for national security, you understand. That's the reality of it. Now, I've mentioned before, too, how what you have in this world is a takeover of everything that you need to survive. All energy, all food resources, all water resources, everything you need for survival is to be taken in under the wings of big 
international corporations. We already see that happening with the water supply of the world. There's, there's only about three corporations who are, that are probably all one corporation uh, taking over the water supply of the world and they're pushing for more and more. Same with natural gas and everything else. And food supplies. We know that the big five uh, agri-food businesses uh, that, are, that have been taking over the world's food supplies really since World War II. They've almost completed the job. And they're going after all the lesser farmers now, just wiping them out through regulations. And if you can't keep up with regulations and pay extra fees and all that kind of stuff, you're out. That's it. Well, they're after the, even the egg supply as well. And this article here is from a Canadian website. It says, Egg crisis may help food safety bill in the Senate. And that's the 25th of August. This is supporters of a long-stalled bill. This is from Washington, uh, CNN, actually, came originally from. Supporters of a long-stalled bill to bolster the safety of the nation's food supply are hoping the widespread egg salmonella crisis will give them momentum to pass their bill in the Senate as early as next month. Now, how, it's never been explained how you get salmonella inside the egg. It's a new phenomenon, you know. The bipartisan bill would give new powers and resources to the Food and Drug Administration to crack down on risky food suppliers in the U.S. and abroad. That's all the small farmers. For instance, in the current situation, the FDA could quickly come, it quickly order direct recalls of suspected eggs instead of relying on voluntary calls by the manufacturers. Then they give you some amazing numbers as well of, of eggs that were put out there in the millions supposedly, millions and millions of them. Well, how would you recall rotten old eggs? I mean, it's impossible too, eh? But, but it'll do the job because there's a big bill, as I say, and the FDA is just waiting for something to happen. And bingo, it's amazing. Something always seems to happen when a major thing is wanted. You know, you want a new world order, you want a century of change, uh, and bingo, the towers go down and everybody's under martial law across the world. And you give up all your rights, whether you like it or not, they're taken from you. And here they want to the complete control of all the world's food supply. And um, even right down to the eggs. And bingo, they get what they want. Whether it's a real or fictitious um, infection that they've got in the eggs, who knows? We'll never, we'll never know. We'll never know. Don't hold your breath. You know, the beekeepers in Canada, uh, there are thousands of small beekeepers. That's generally how countries are run in the honey industries, by small beekeepers who do it part-time or maybe full-time for a few. The big corporations have been taken over for years because they're the only ones who can afford to keep up with all the regulations. The small guys were told they'd have to build separate buildings for the, for the government inspector to come in. Special buildings where you can wash up, scrub up, like I'm going into an operating theater, uh, white uh, coat, the whole thing, white boots, uh, disinfectant trays to put his, his rubber boots in, and all that stuff. And then you had to get a stainless steel spinner to spin the combs, and it cost multi-thousands of dollars. And then if they complied with all of that, um, if the guy saw any kind of mite whatsoever within the hives, he would order them burned on the spot. That was you out. And if you survived even that, it'd tell you where you could sell your honey and where you couldn't. I know guys who have to go about 50 miles to sell their honey, even though they used to sell locally. No, they're not allowed to anymore. They have to go where they're told to by the government. You know, they just make it so impossible for you to work that no one's left except the big corporations. And that's for every area of your food today.
That's what government does. And it's astonishing how folk go to government for help or anything. Oh, this is astonishing. Another thing, too, everybody will be prattling on about, too, and people do prattle an awful lot because of the media, which are really non-events, you know. And, and there's one that came out, too, it's, and it's, it's in the, the Independence UK. Secret services, that's your MI6, MI5, and all the other ones we don't even know about yet. It must be made more transparent, it says, more transparent. The secret services must become more transparent if they are to halt the spread of damaging conspiracy theories and increase trust in the government, claims a leading think tank. Here's your think tanks again. At, or the Demos. Oh, it's amazing. The Demos is amazing because they used to be totally communist. And I think that's the music coming in, so I'll be back with more after this break. Folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the Matrix, reading an article about secret services and how they must be made more transparent by the big Demos think tank. The Demos, as I say, are one of the biggest uh, covert think tanks out there, incredibly wealthy. They're the backers of uh, the group uh, Common Purpose in Britain as well, which is meant to bring the whole, the whole of Britain into a, a more even integrated society for Europe which is completely devoid of all the old system of what it is to be British, bringing a completely new system, all run back from Brussels. So the Demos report put this out, the power of unreason, they call it this report, and they argued that secrecy surrounding the investigation of events such as 9-11 New York attacks and the 7-7 bombings in London merely adds weight to unsubstantiated claims that they were inside jobs. Really? It warns of the dangers posed by conspiracy theories from hindering counter-terrorism work by reducing public trust in the government. Public trust in the government. Everybody's bankrupt now. Do you trust the government? To encouraging new alliances between extremists based on such theories and recommends the government fight back by infiltrating internet sites to dispute these theories. Now this big think tank, this Demos bunch, they also work with the group in the U.S., uh, a branch there with Sunstein, Mr. Sunstein, who also said this thing, the same thing months ago, that they should uh, infiltrate all the Internet sites they are putting stuff out there and cause them problems. And by the way, they're not starting to do it. They've been doing it for years. Whenever you read something like this, they've been doing it for years. They're only promoting more of it, that's all. And that's why I've, I never go into chat rooms and forums, because they've set up people over the years to go into these forums become the leaders, get everybody fighting everybody else until they're ready to kill each other, literally. They've been at it for years. You have no idea the dirty tricks of the secret services. One of the first jobs they give a candidate to do is to con their way into someone's house, a total stranger, an innocent stranger, and lie and do anything to get into that house right through to the back door and then they're, they're seen outside on the veranda or wherever they've accomplished their mission. But they, they, all they do is lie to the general public. That's what agents really do. That's what they really, really do. Most of the time, that's what they do. And you're supposed to trust these guys. They're, they're born liars. That's what you hire for an agent is someone who's a born liar. How on earth could you ever trust a born liar? Hmm? So anyway, that article's there. And it says here, 
Um, Jamie Barlett, the author of the report, said less secret services could make uh, Britain safer. The more open the government is, the harder it is for extremist groups to make stories out of silence. Then the Royal United Services Institute warned last week that the UK may soon face a new wave of homegrown terrorists. I read that one too. When criminals who've been targeted by jihadists while in prison are released, well, they've got to create the problem and there's no better place than they create it than pulling people into prison where they're taught the stuff and they get to be taught how to be better jihadists or criminals or whatever else you're taught. That's where you learn your trade is in prison. And they'll also have guys there who are fake prisoners, by the way, teaching them this stuff, who are also agents of the secret services. That's, there's nothing new in that either. <laughs> Demas also recommends that the National Security Council publish an annual report of its proceedings and that it makes details of counterterrorism investigations available to selected individuals. Then the Home Office spokesman said the government has prepared the groundwork of being more open by having a review of counterterrorism powers. Well, that means nothing at all. Whenever they review something, they just become more devious and give themselves more powers. And that's the system we're really living in. Look at this, the pace of the takeover of the planet. The pace. Where you lose rights by the week now. You don't even know yet. You've lost pretty well all your rights. More, some countries are waking up faster because they, they never really had much of, of the way of rights. They didn't have constitutions as such. And if they did, like Britain, it wasn't written down, supposedly. You just trusted the guys at the top to always stick to it. But uh, this is the nonsense that we've got. So you've got to give up your rights for security. Listen, if you, if, you, if you have no rights, if you've got no rights, you have no security. Don't you get it? It's the only... It's the only defense you have is having rights to be secure. Amazing, though, isn't it, how it really goes ahead? It's damned amazing. And then, too, we've already had about five different articles here on the side effects of vaccinations in different countries. But here's one from India now. And it's, it's the reaction to what happened with the vaccinations that, that makes it so different because, you see, the, they've not been quite so domesticated in some parts of India as they have across the rest of the world. And it's, um, it's from the Med Guru. It says, four babies die after vaccination in Lucknow, August 22nd. A routine immunization, like that routine immunization drive in Lucknow, went awry after four children died within minutes of receiving a vaccine for measles, mm-hmm. followed by drops of vitamin A solution on Saturday. Um, and it says, the four children identified and names them, uh, hail from Bindova, Rampur Gari, and Padman Keda villages of Mohan Lag Lal Ganji, a district 30 kilometers from Lucknow. All the victims were under two years of age, with the youngest being six months old. A total of five children fell ill. All five were first admitted to a primary health center, and then they were shifted to King George Medical College in Lucknow. Four died on the way, and one who was admitted to Lucknow hospitals battling for life. It's amazing because when that happened here with a Gardasil, uh, they even uh, gave a mandate to all the doctors uh, to tell the press, if they were asked, that um, uh, if it happened in the vicinity and the time vicinity as well, meaning shortly after you got injections, it probably had nothing to do with it. And it, and it happened all the time. Folk die all the time. And, and the fact you died two hours after the injection really had nothing to do with the injection. But we'll see what happened in India. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix, reading about uh, how children in India reacted to a, a measles vaccine. It killed a bunch of them. And it says here, four died in the week and to the hospital, and one who's admitted to Lucknow is battling for life. Serious reaction to the vaccine since the children fainted within minutes of getting the injection. The enraged parents allege the death is due to lapse on the part of the officials or a deficiency in the vaccination. According to eyewitnesses, no sooner had they got the shot than they exhibited serious reaction to the vaccine. They became breathless, they began to sweat, felt faintish, and did not recover thereafter. Their eyes rolled back and some fluid started coming out of their mouth. That's a nice reaction to the, to the, to the, you know, the injection, isn't it? So the immunization drive, it says, is suspended. And in an attempt to ascertain the cause of the death, the health officials and the district administration reached the spot, etc., etc., and tried to cover it up, of course, and, and lower the escalation of the reaction of the parents. It says it's difficult to ascertain which vaccination had caused the deaths. Now, that, that must have meant they gave them a bunch of vaccinations. And, and of course, it's going to be, they'll never tell you what exactly they gave these children. It says only an examination of the samples and post-mortem of the children would reveal the truth. But this is an extremely tragic and unfortunate incident, blah, blah, blah. And then the, the villagers, here's a, here's a reaction to how the, the people who haven't been tamed react. It says, following the incident, nearly 600 villagers attacked the primary health workers and held three government doctors hostage. There's some things to learn, you know, from other countries. It's true. You know, other, other cultures can teach you an awful lot. The furious villagers threatened to burn them alive. It was only after much persuasion by the local police that they were pacified and let the doctors off. Uh, says local magistrate Amil Sagaras uh, said, as news of the deaths of the children filtered down to the villages around 2 p.m., a team of three doctors who had gone there to investigate the cause of the deaths were held hostage by the villagers in the office of the local health centre. So they've set up their probe and all. They've learned a lot from Britain because Britain really gave them that type of administration over there. Uh, and they'll have an inquiry that will probably last forever. And they want to give a payoff to the parents as well. Of 50,000 rupees each, I guess. That's, I guess, what the, what the worth of a child is over there. And, um, and that's how they do it. But that's how they reacted. That's how the people reacted to their own being killed off by injections. Hmm? What do we do here, you know? What do we do? Now, we pay for our own chains. I've said that over and over. We pay for this big monstrosity of the New World Order that's taking all your rights away and it's becoming so intrusive, uh, you, it's just incredible. And it's not intrusive enough for them, by the way. They want to get into your houses, into your rooms, into your bathrooms. They want to spy on you 24 hours a day. But this is an article here. Yeah, we pay for all of our tax money. This is the shackles of slavery are upon us. Neil Foster is from the Sovereign Independent. According to the article below, Waterford Institute of Technology, it's in Ireland, is to receive £15.8 million to help implement what they themselves call pervasive technology integrated into a program call, uh, called EU Societies. I've looked up EU Societies. Societies is the name of this organization, this big tech group at the top. 
And um, the whole report is here too. You can get a link to the Silicon Republic. It gives you more details on this whole thing. Now he says here, now I don't know about you, but the pervasive doesn't sound very friendly to me. As I read the article and realized it certainly wasn't friendly, and it's actually nothing less than the implementation of full-spectrum track-and-trace technology for every aspect of our lives. And that's exactly what it is. And look at this, 15.8 million pounds of a grant. And it says, Privacy in all its forms will be gone as our clothes, our cars, and every product we buy, including our food, I'm sure, and that will be true, your food as well, will be tracked and traced to you, the individual. The companies supporting the scheme include Intel, yep, and those masters of track and trace who helped Hitler slaughter millions, IBM. As I said, I highly recommend reading IBM and The Holocaust by Edwin Black for those who may doubt IBM's evil intentions. With even... Uh, has a pervasive communication service. Again, the word pervasive doesn't sound like something anyone should want, and I, for one, certainly don't want anything pervasive interfering in my life against my will. Who gives the right to a private institution or corporation to impose invasive technology on us? Who will then pass the technology on to our government for big money paid for by us? To have ourselves monitored 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, for the rest of our lives. And ain't that the truth, eh? Our tax money pays these big, this big cartel at the top. See, the world's not run really by governments as you think of it. It's run by the international corporations that are a parallel government along with their fronts, their foundations, that champion the causes for their, for their self-approved non-governmental organizations. That's a real parallel government. And that's what Quigley was going on about, Carl Quigley. And who better to know since the guy who was the historian for them and published the book on it too. But that's where they're going to. They're going to, they're going to know everything about you 24 hours per day and you better believe it. That is their goal. That is their goal. Total control. That's what they mean that, that, that eventually, eventually, who knows when, it might be a generation from now, who knows, maybe even faster than that because the, the rate they're going, they've had this technology for years by the way, um, they won't need armies or police because there's nothing you can do that they won't know you're doing. Literally. In real time. That's what it's about. Quite something, eh? But it's, it's all tax-funded. It's all government. The, the same governments that they want you to have trust in, you know, trust your, your governments. People are losing trust in them because of silly conspiracy theories. Yeah. Now, as I say, all laws are passed across the world pretty well in the same time frame. Sometimes a bit lag here and there. I know in the U.S., the, to go into a liquor store there, you have to show your, your uh, some sort of ID to show they are how old you are. No matter if you walk in in crutches uh, and you're stooped and you definitely look about 100 years of age, you've still got to show them. Well, in Canada, they're starting it now too. Uh, CBC News says Nova Scotia, Liquor stores to ID all buyers. Young people, old timers, and everyone in between will be carded, will be carded, they call it, and selected liquor stores in Nova Scotia next month. So the Nova Scotia Liquor Corps outlets in New Minnes, Wolfville, and Antinguish, Gwinnish, will ask ID from every customer whether they look like a post-secondary pupil or a pensioner. What's all that about? What's all that about? It's just, it's just another 
You know, in the, in the liquor stores in Canada, they came out with one of these schemes where you can get your own card uh, and you get air miles if you keep using the card. It's a credit card, really. And they also use the same card, I noticed, in the grocery stores. Now, the government's in partnership with this credit card company to share all data. So if you were buying anything from a liquor store or you're buying your food from a grocery store, they know every item you're purchasing. Your governments, they know it. And guess what? You're paying for this credit card that gives you little deals here and there by saving a few cents once in a while. And, and you know, people go for it. The mousetrap, they call it the better mousetrap. They go for that. Oh, well, you know, I get a few bucks for you. Would I spend 200 bucks on groceries? Uh, and of course, if you don't get their card, they charge you the full price. In other words, they penalize you. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's how we're trained, Pavlovian style. So simple, isn't it? So darn simple. And most of the schmucks fall for it. They run into it. They can't help themselves to save a few bucks. But then again, most folk don't care about privacy, they say. Now, in Australia, <laughs> it's amazing how Australia, again, it's been run by the same boys who are put out there by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. That's what you get in all British Commonwealth countries. And they've been running the show there for about 50 years or more. And they put a lot of Fabians in as prime ministers from the Fabian Society, well-trained. Here's what they're doing here, though. It's the 25th of August. Students are told to plan terror attack. This is your assignment for school. And it says, it says here, uh, if I can scroll down the darn thing, it says, um, year 10 students, I guess that's, I don't know what the age, that's 15. Sarah Gilbert explains how her teacher gave an assignment which instructed students to plan a terror attack. An assignment that asked West Australian high school students to plan a terrorist attack that would kill as many innocent people as possible was inappropriate, insensitive and disappointing, according to the Education Director General. Do you hear the terms they have here too for for education? You're an Education Director General. The same terms they use at the United Nations for all these things. Because guess what? Guess where the, the UN all came from? It came from the City of London. This is Sharon O'Neill said people were rightly upset by the assignment which was set by a society and environment, a society and environment teacher. Calgary Boulder Community High School last week. The in-class task told year 10 students to pretend they were terrorists planning a chemical or biological attack on an unsuspecting Australian community. Your goal is to kill the most innocent civilians in order to get your message across, the assignment said. The students had to explain their choice of victims, decide the best time and place for their attack. The Tom would teach them in prisons. Here they are teaching it in schools. <laughs> Miss O'Neill said the teacher had been working for about three years and had, the, had set the task to get students to see conflict through someone else's eyes. Now, I think there are better ways to do that. I think it was inappropriate choice and poor judgment exercised by the teachers, Mrs. O'Neill said, or Ms. O'Neill said. The teacher in question was trying to engage the students, have them think about world occurrences from a different perspective. On this occasion, she got it wrong. She certainly learned that lesson. A teacher has to learn a lesson. By, you, you, wouldn't, you have no idea of the cultural shift you see after the recruitment. You understand with every two or three years that go by, it, it, the people who hit 20 are worse and worse and worse. It's, it's, it's exponential. It's incredible. 
the speed of, of how bad it gets. Like that one that happened out in, in Canada uh, last year there, where the teacher, uh, two teachers were doing a, a lap dance in front of the students. Hmm. See, they're coming out with the general culture of their age group, of their indoctrination, and they're brain damaged. They literally are culturally brain damaged. Because they have no idea what's right and wrong anymore. And of course, they're taught moral relativity. They're taught that there is no right and wrong. If there's no right and wrong, how can government go after terrorists? Or go after anybody, for that matter, if there's no right and wrong? How can anybody be put in prison whatsoever if there's no right and wrong? Moral relativity. That's what's been pushing in school for the schools for the last 25 years. So anyway, it says, this teacher from all the accounts is a well-regarded teacher. She made a mistake. Who doesn't make a mistake from time to time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, children, I want you to find ways of blowing up and killing as many people as possible. Thank you very much. Monty Python would have done a fantastic job with all the stuff that's happening today. Because you know something? It's beyond satire what's coming out in the mainstream now. Remember Mad Magazine? They stopped producing it because it said that reality, reality was becoming so bizarre you couldn't satirize it anymore. We're living in the satire, and people think it's normal. Another article to read too, I'll put these links up on cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show, remember, is the Green Economy Report. It's to be launched late in 2010, and this is from the Millennium Institute. Now, Millennium is, is part of the Goals 2000 and Goals 20 for the Agenda 21. Uh, they've made different names for Agenda 21, but the Millennial Institute is a big part of it. They settle out the formats that everyone else follows. It says the Green Economy Reports launched in 2010. The last uh, July, since last July, Millennium Institute has been involved in producing the Green Economy Report, a groundbreaking study being conducted as part of the Green Economy Initiative the Green Economy Initiative, that's what you're going into, of, of the UNEP, that United Nations something or other. The report, to be published in late 2010, uses economic analysis and modelling approaches to demonstrate that greening the economy across a range of sectors can drive economic recovery, utter nonsense, and growth and lead to future prosperity and job creation, while at the same time addressing social inequalities and environmental challenges. A preview of the report has been released and can be downloaded on this particular site. As I say, I'll put it up and you can see it for yourself. But that's the rubbish to tell you, even though I've read umpteen articles on the air where they've showed you that for every green job they create, four of the old types are lost in the process, which they know it's, they know here too, of course. See, this whole greening business is a, a way to get you all down to minimalistic living. Basic minimalism. When they say equality at the top, worldwide equality, they're talking about the Charter of the United Nations, where everyone is guaranteed the most basic, basic human rights of basic minimalistic food, minimalistic medicine, and so on across the board. That's what they mean by that. You've got to read the Charter. You've got to read the Charter. You've got to read who, who set the Charter up, and Alger Hiss. And some Canadians, by the way, were the guys that worked with them. And they did, they drafted up the UN Charter. They have never deviated from that Charter to this present time. Who is this UN anyway? It's not a country. 
And you think, well, I was born and it was already there. It must be normal like gravity. Well, no, it's not. It's a private organization. And every, con- every country, your nation, national countries, I can't even use that expression anymore, national countries, what's left of them, sign treaties with them all the time, with the UN. And they take more and more and more rights away from you each time they do it. That was the plan. Every politician knows this. Every politician knows this. The end of nations, the death of nations, the, the, the tiered society, the, the eradication of all the, the middle classes eventually, and they'll, eventually they'll have their clone little beings at the bottom to shine their shoes and stuff like that and grow the food and do all the menial tasks, exactly what they showed you in Brave New World. They'll create them, and they can do it right now, by the way. They could have done it a while ago. This didn't want to terrify us all too quickly. But they'll really push ahead once the U.S. is finished, uh, pacifying, as they call, um, dominating uh, what's left of the Middle East and Asia and so on. That's the only job the U.S. has left. The rest of the job for the U.S. is to pay off debts. That's the only other thing we'll have to do, keep paying off debts. We live in a a bizarre world, We, we truly do. And defending a new domain, as I say, the Pentagon cyber strategy, uh, I'll put that up there as well. You can go through those ones and have a good perusal at them. Then the UN climate panel as well. Now, I read a report months ago when all the scandals broke out from the UN uh, East Anglia University and all the other universities that were involved with them, putting out fake nonsense. Uh, because that is the agenda too. They've got to make the public bend to the will for this new system, pay their carbon taxes and all that kind of stuff. It's all been already set up. There's no going back. No, I think the music's coming in. I'll be back with more after this. I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix Talking about the UN climate panels I say it's a done deal, it was done years ago In fact the European Parliament Was giving out millions of euros Free in carbon credits To big international corporations I've read the articles where over the years They've already made profits off them By trading these free ones Amongst each other And now it's only a matter of getting us all trained To pay for all energy And carbon and all the rest of it To create this new economy where literally you're a slave for the very fact that you're alive and everything you need to consume takes energy to produce and then do the silly mathematical equation of turning it all into carbon and then they stick you with a tab. And and that's what it's all about. You you know something? It's getting so bizarre, as I say, it's beyond any kind of comedy you can imagine. It's so bizarre. It's, It's even more bizarre when people start to believe it all through constant repetition. And they don't speak out and say what nonsense, toss it out the window, tear it up and throw it out. Because you see, like everything else, if you don't nip it in the bud in the beginning, uh, you are a goner. It's, it's a pile of bricks on top of your head forever. Slavery is something that Charles Galton Darwin talked about in his book, Millennium, The Next Million Years. And he said, he said, it's always existed in some form or another. It says, and we are in the process of creating a new, more sophisticated form 
of slavery. Check out his book, written in the 1950s. He was a worker on the Manhattan Project, Descent of Charles Darwin. And look at the claim he got, too, from all the major media for coming forward with this need to euthanize all the unfit, etc., for a better future. Look it up for yourself. Read it. You know, people should be reading books themselves instead of listening to other people talk about them. If other people talk about them, they can slant them one way or another. Read them for yourselves. There's nothing hidden today. It's all out there. It's all out there. So here's the UN climate panel because of the, the, the dirty name they got. Well, the leaked emails and their, their political policy, and it's a political agenda, all these scientists. They all get their money from it. They'll have no money at all coming in from grants if they're tossed on the street looking for another job. So they need this money coming in. They need there to be a crisis in the making. And as long as there's a crisis in the making, they'll keep making the crisis. That's how it works. So the UN Climate Panel should only make predictions when it has solid evidence and should avoid policy advocacy, scientists said in a report Monday that called for a thorough reform of the body. Now, all they'll do here is get more and more wily and cunning, uh, use a lot more um, bamboozling data, which would make no sense to anybody. And what happens then, it overloads your brain, you give up and you sit back and listen to them because they must be right. That's how you think. They must be right. I can't follow this. It's too deep for me. That's how the snake oil salesman used to work in years gone by. They'd bamboozle you until you forgot that he was trying to sell you something. And then, then you'd actually turn around and you'd find you actually wanted it. You forgot he's a salesman. So, this is the UN IPCC was widely criticized after admitting its 2007 global warming report was uh, wrong, said Himalayan glaciers. <laughs> they said Himalayan glaciers would vanish by 2035 and that it overstated how much of the Netherlands is below sea level. No kidding. They actually got a student. They actually took that one report from a student at university and published it without even analyzing it on the Himalayan glaciers. They're so desperate to get nonsense that will terrify the public into compliance. So they become more cunning, as I say. That's a very fast hour or so from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>